Straight Talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Good morning, good morning. My name is Andrea Simintov, and you're listening to Pull Up a Chair on IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. And if you had any doubt about it, yes, indeed, this is being aired live at this moment from the Holy Land of Israel. Not one of these shows that's coming in from another corner of the world and pretending we're in the Jewish state. No, no, no. I'm in the Jewish state. I know because I'm looking out of my window and seeing cranes, cranes, cranes. And of course, the beautiful uh, Judean desert. Okay. A lot of cranes, a lot of building. Our enemies say they're going to push us into the sea. Well, apparently nobody in the building industry has gotten the memo because we are building and growing and thriving. And indeed, there is a home waiting here for you. We have listeners now over the three time zones in the United States. They're listening in from America. Truly, truly grateful. Boketover, it's Israel. It's cold, right, guys? Um, Ireland is with us this morning. Japan is with us. And here is a country called Other. As we find, as, I, as you join us, as the computer picks up, I'll give you a shout out. It is so good to hear from you. Anyway, um, took off last week. I took off last week because truthfully, in my business, we are in a pre-Pesach, the before Passover rush. And I must tell you, it like hit me with a boom. So much Israel, I mean, Passover, Pesach is such a pivotal point in our year. I mean, we have many, many critical um, critical pit stops on our Yoman, on our calendar, and each one is important and different. But Pesach is a story of who we are. Passover, we be. And um, I think the last time I did a show... I came across a statistic, I don't have those notes in front of me, that something like 96 or 98% of Israelis will be attending a Passover Seder. Um, doesn't mean that it's necessarily an, quote, orthodox Seder. Um, there are a lot of customs that we read about, a lot of newfangled stuff, a lot of things going on in the woke Seder business. But nevertheless, 96 to 98% of Israeli Jews will be sitting down at a table on Seder night, Passover night, and acknowledging in some manner our connection. And to me, that is very, very exciting. Um, received a phone call this week, and I know that this station, no one does it better than Israel News Talk Radio in terms of covering, covering the vibe, covering the heartbeat of what is political here and somehow melding it so beautifully with the presenters, um, melding the sacred and profane, the political and the spiritual. And they really, really do. And I take a great pride. <laughs> I take a great pride on being not necessarily apolitical, but not using this show's platform um, to spew, um, let's just say, a political bend. 
That's wonderful for many listeners. Not so wonderful for some. And a very dear friend of mine called me. I think it was a Motsi Shabbos, a Saturday night. And he was desperate. He said, he's crying all Shabbos. He's crying because of what is going on. Um, the whole crisis and the protest about judicial reform in the streets of Israel and pitting brother against brother. And Andrea, what is it that you think? Well, guess what? I'm not going to discuss it. I don't mean that I'm not going to discuss it, the sageness of reforming the judiciary, the lack of wisdom. Former Chief Rabbi Lau was quoted as saying, Judaism is the foundation of Israel, not democracy. I saw pictures. I, I, if they're listeners to this show, I hope somebody will let me know, but I saw a photograph of two American olim, recent immigrants to Israel. And one woman was holding up a sign. And I'm not going to use the expletive, the famous curse word. Just think S ending in T. And her sign said, I didn't make Aliyah for this expletive. And her husband's sign said something else. Very, very clever, very woke. And I thought to myself, I, I don't really know what the politics... Actually, I do. I'm, I'm being a little disingenuous. I know what the politics were when I made Aliyah back in 1995, along with the dinosaurs. There was nobody in the Israeli government whose politics reflected mine. I didn't make Aliyah because of politics. I didn't come home to God's Israel because of whomever is sitting in the leather-seated recreation called Knesset. Israel will survive this. We Jews have issues that are so spiritual, so deep. And to take something and make it into a national, indeed at this point, an international Jewish red herring and to pit Jews against Jews. And you know what? Even if I could, even if I could and would, really want to study the nuances of both sides. And I do read them and I read it and it's so wearying and everybody's right and everybody's wrong. Forgive me. This is why you listen to the show because we don't do woke here. When the protesters in the street claim to have a serious issue to discuss and then I see the entire protest is peppered with 50% or almost 50% rainbow flags of the gay nation there's an agenda there's an agenda an agenda that has less to do with wanting the best for all of us and an agenda instead to imitate and to copy 
and to grab at straws which superficially keep us away from that which makes us real and connected to one another. As Pesach is approaching, Pesach evokes not an intellectual memory, but a visceral, innate, communal tapestry of Am Yisrael, Eretz Yisrael connection. As we stood together at the foot of Sinai, shoulder to shoulder, listening to the same voice, feeling the same love, despite the size and depth and length of our head coverings or lack thereof. Despite the hechshers, the kosher certifications that were in our tents, Despite it all, we stood together because what unified us and unified Israel is Judaism. Israel will survive Netanyahu, will survive the Olmerts, will survive them all. Only if we choose to, you know, let me throw out this one point in the last three minutes of this segment. I once heard it described, love. And ahava, ahava is not just romance between intimate partners. It's love of one another. When you look into the eyes of your friend, deeply into your eyes, we say we're seeing their soul. No, we're not. We see a reflection of ourselves. Well, he or she believes just as I do because I'm looking into his eyes and I see that we believe each other. No, you're seeing a reflection of what you believe. The nace, the miracle, the beauty of unity is when we stand shoulder to shoulder and we look out and then together we see the same things. I pray that all of us Awaken from this foolishness, my friend who is disappointed in me, because I seemed to not know too much about the protests. What he really was hearing was my silence on something that I will deem petty, despite the outrage in the street. Because we have much greater work to do, much bigger work to do. When we come back today, after the break, we're going to talk about what it means to be the salt of the earth and how it connects to, indeed, the protests that are overtaking the highways, overtaking our parks, and the preparation for Pesach, for Passover, and how we should absolutely not get sidetracked from our goal as we step forward and step into, indeed, perhaps the holiest part of the year that belongs to each and every one of us. Andrea Simintov, I'll see you on the other side.
Israel News Talk Radio, straight talk from Israel. Coronary artery disease is one of the most common types of heart disease affecting millions of people. Treatments may require coronary angioplasty and placement of stents to open clogged heart arteries. An Israeli firm called CathWorks is working on a platform to optimize coronary artery disease treatment decisions and elevate coronary angiography from visual assessment to an objective decision-making tool for physicians. The technology begins with two-dimensional angiograms, which are then transformed into a three-dimensional model of the patient's coronary tree. The system uses algorithms to analyze every branch of the patient's coronary tree, calculating resistance to blood flow and comparing resistance to blood flow in healthy vessels to diseased blood vessels, helping physicians to find the best treatment approach for each patient. For more information on the high-tech world today, visit IsraelTechTalk.com. With your INTR Tech Minute, I'm Bob Aiello. Hi, hi, Andrea Simintov back. Hi, so much to talk about. I once saw a T-shirt that said "So many books, so little time." So true. Um, so I'm so excited <laughs> how this lovely station really <laughs> frees all of us from wokeness. Don't have to go there. It's so liberating. Um, <clears throat> just quickly, a, qu- a household hint: when you're cooking. For now, I'm telling you this from personal experience because nothing is better than personal experience. <laughs> to all the men and women who are going to be cooking the food for the Seder, and if this is the one time, <laughs> I'm already laughing, one time a year that you're going to make kanedalach, matzah balls, okay? Last Friday night, I suddenly had this crazy urge to make a big chicken soup with kanedalach, with fluffy matzo balls, because I'm not going to be here for the Seder. And I just thought it would be, it was cold, it was nice, I did it. And again, once again, a little over, and then when we sat down to eat the, these matzo balls were absolutely, they were like mini bowling balls. This was about, I think it was a week ago, Friday night, they're still laying in my chest. And of course, both my husband and our guest, we have a lovely guest who joins us so often, they were extolling the virtues of these bowling ball matzo balls and said, oh, these are wonderful, just like, and both of them said, just like my mother made. And I happen to know historically that both of them have mothers that were terrible cooks. So anyway, when you're making the matzo balls, it's very important when you see the recipe, the recipe will either call for um, like a baking powder or a baking soda or indeed um bottled soda or seltzer uh don't forget it as i did it's still like laying in my chest i have to go straight from the station to maybe <laughs> maybe go to mug and david adam the israel red cross i think they have a um a mod, a bad matzo ball unit for those of us <laughs> okay no so um i just wanted to throw that out okay how is she laughing how is andrea laughing this week so much terror, so much rage in the streets. How do they live there? We will in a moment get to a very lighthearted article that actually, I couldn't believe it, says that Israel is, and it was all over, I didn't make this stuff up, but it says something that Israel is the fourth happiest country on earth. Well, I would have said that, I agree with it, 
uh, here, Israel's the fourth happiest country in the world, new ranking show. We'll talk about that, but we can't ignore the reality. I will ignore other things, but I won't ignore the reality. Um, I think it was two Friday nights ago, two Friday nights ago. Yeah. No, not Friday nights. It was a Thursday night. There was a um, terrorist shooting attack in Tel Aviv. You all know about it. And um, just this week, two died right then and there. And this week, we davened, we prayed, we hoped. A beautiful man, a wonderful man, whose name was Or Eshkar. Unfortunately, he succumbed to his wounds this week. And you know, <clears throat> we know the value of a human being. We know that each one of us is created, but Selim Elohim in God's image. It's very unpopular to discuss the value of a human life as one being worthy, one being more worthy than another. I can remember terrible stories, you know, the stories of the Titanic as people were pushing ahead, uh, richer people trying to get onto the lifeboats and shoving aside the um, poorer people. We've heard stories from the Shoah, the Holocaust, whose life was worth more. Most terrible. But one of the things that wakes me up, that absolutely shakes me, is how much ink, how much press is given to the filthy scum that were spawned to wreak havoc, to wreak, weigh this word, boys and girls, to wreak terror on the holy people of Israel. Be careful with language. Don't walk into your messy house and say, Oi, va voi, looks like, looks like a terrorist bombing happened here. I could throw a pebble and hit point to five families who will tell you what a real terrorist bombing looks like. And this lovely man, this beautiful man, both physically beautiful but spiritually beautiful, fought. And to hear his family, to hear them speak, too many families. And in the end, this filth, this 23-year-old, he was pre, I'm not going to tell you his name. I'm not going to tell it to you and don't look it up. Instead, look for matzo ball recipes better use of your time, but understand that he had already been sentenced to two terms, two life terms in an Israeli prison. In and out and in and out and in and out and in and out and somebody sitting in a cafe in Tel Aviv who feels, at least for an evening, far from the conflict, at least for an evening, apolitical. A secular man with friends of all stripes. But this human scum doesn't differentiate. Don't think that by befriending more, being kinder, celebrating more, 
We will buy their love. This holy man, these holy people, unlike the human refuse that snuffed out three delicious lives with great meaning, indeed, much more meaning, lives that would pay taxes and have children that will contribute to society, not just Israel society, not our way, the world, the world, what we give to the world, or Ashkar, his family, in the midst of the most unimaginable grief, donated a lobe of his liver, donated his heart, donated the remaining part of his liver to a 75-year-old man, donated one kidney to a 52-year-old woman, another one to a 59-year-old man. New update, his lungs were donated to a 50-year-old man at Sheba Hospital, giving, giving, giving. Because it's what Jews do this week. How much can we bear? In a moving, tear-filled Brit Milah circumcision ceremony took place, I believe, yesterday morning. The Paley family lost two sons. Two sons in a ramming attack on Erev Shabbat, a car ramming attack. Two delicious little boys, a seven-year-old and a five-year-old. Is it not enough, God? They celebrated the bris milah, the circumcision of their newborn son, Yohona San Rafael. A father still in his wheelchair, a father who only woke up three weeks after the attack to learn that his family had been decimated. Holding his baby, saying the basukim, saying the beautiful verses and the and the, the the songs of praise and gratitude towards God, Israel, and yet, and yet, dichotomous, crazy, eccentric, pushy, loud, front page grabbing Israel, happiest country, fourth happiest in the world, I guess Finland. I think Finland beats us. Okay. Fourth happiest on a national level. You figure it out because we live something called a positive effect. And there's something called a happiness gap. And I think about it a lot. When our lives have meaning, life is messy. There are people who don't take chances in life. I know. I know women who won't take chances. They won't go out because they fear being hurt. People who won't go for a job interview because they may not get it and it'll be embarrassing. People who won't try a new food because it's not what my father ate. There's something so delicious, so damn Israeli about standing on the cusp of hope and despite our mourning, despite our shivers, despite the onslaught of world rage that rains down upon our shoulders day and night and night and day, <laughs> we still stand at the cusp of hope, thinking it's going to be okay. It's going to be fine. So exciting.
When we come back, we're going to go into Devar Torah. Such a beautiful portion this week. Very strange. People free. But before we go, I do want to tell you, do you all remember the, um, I think it was Miss Universe, um, the Miss Universe contestant from Iraq who was censured and I think she, I don't know if she was in prison because she had her photograph taken with Miss Israel that became great friends. Well, today the former Miss Iraq is living in America. Apparently she's a conservative, she's a conservative Republican and has a lot to say to woke America about their lack of gratitude. My name's Andrea Simintov. See you Hello, listeners. My name is Gila Perach Hirsch, and I live in Israel, and I love it here because in Israel, I can feel the hand of God brushing my cheek. Hi, my name is Arnie. I'm from Jerusalem, and I love Israel because it's my happy place. My name is Hannah. What Israel represents for me, freedom to be who I am, and all the other amazing things that small country had accomplished. It just makes me so proud. Thank you, Israel. Hi. My name is Morris Klein from Melbourne, Australia, and I love Israel because I'm Yisrael Chai. Hi, this is Michal from London originally, Nanatania. The reason I love Israel, I would probably say Israel, where every Jew feels at home. Hello, this is Harold from Jerusalem, Israel. I love living in Israel because my inside life and my outside life are one and the same, and they blend smoothly and uniformly with each other. We are back. Andrea Simento, pull up a chair. IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. A little housekeeping, housekeeping, housekeeping. Um, any Pesach questions? I'm not a Rav. I do not Paskin. I will not issue. I will not issue um, Torah law. But if you have any questions, I can perhaps, if you send them to me, Andrea at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com, and you don't know where to, I can probably send you to a wonderful kosher celebratory source to answer your questions also uh just as a point i will be for the passover holiday from i'll be from i think like the second of april until like the middle of april i will be in the silver spring and the rockville maryland area so if you're having a get together you'd like me to come over come visit uh come give a little talk my perspective, your perspective, a meetup, let me know. Andrea at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. Happy, happy. That will be, um, that could be a lot of fun. Just a nice upbeat. We have so much Devar Torah to talk about today, so much Torah, but I just wanted to share this because I'm so excited. I'm so excited with Passover because I feel this, unlike my matzo balls, um, I feel a lightning. I feel that there is a spark. Spirit, you know, chametz. We're going to talk a little bit about chametz, which are leavened foodstuffs uh, that we rid our houses of. And I, I know when I was growing up, we used to hear about women having nervous breakdowns. They got a, they're cleaning around the toilet with toothpicks, with toothpicks and washing grout. 
with uh, toothbrushes. Somehow tooth tooth equipment seems to be a big Pesach cleaning issue. Not so much here. But anyway, um, and so I begin to feel the lightning, the getting rid of the chametz, the chametz of the soul, the leavening of the soul. But I wanted to just tell you, right before I went on air this morning, I received a note from a competitor, a business competitor. And I think I said a few months ago that I had taken this woman out to dinner. Um, I don't know why. I just felt that there was a friendship there, that we were both in similar, in, we were both in the same industry and we should get to know each other. And who knows, it's such a, a, everybody works independently and maybe there could be a friendship. And she wrote to me this morning because it's our very busy season and how hard it was and how she needs a massage. And I wrote back and I said, I know I need it too. And, and it was just so nice to, instead of feeling rivalry and competition, that she felt safe enough after my initial outreach to reach out to me to kind of scream over cyberspace. And I was reminded of Rabbi Eliyahu Dessler in his um, three-section three book, Mechtav Me'eliyahu, Letters from Eliyahu, where he talks about giving, giving to someone even if, and he uses the word enemy, this is definitely not my enemy, this is a, 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 it's a business competitor, and giving and giving until they become your friend. And um, here the two of us are actually taking Torah and bringing it to real life, you know, getting it off the pages, off the parchment, and it was just very, very nice. I promised her I would mention how exciting it was to hear from her, so thanks, CM, that was good. Okay. Here we go. We're getting ready for Shabbos. It's a Shabbos countdown. Yeah, baby. Um, okay, so as I mentioned, one of the mitzvot associated with Pesach, Passover, and sometimes it's very funny, the, the um, engineer of this show is very, very, um, he's very scrupulous when I use too much Hebrew because I speak a language. You live in Israel long enough. Anybody from Israel listening in knows there's Hebrew, there's English, and there's Hebrew. So I speak a lot of Hebrew, and I just expect everybody to understand it. So if I use too much Hebrew, there's a word you don't know, drop me a note, and I will apologize and explain myself. So one of the mitzvot, the commandments, associated with Passover is that of removing chametz, leaven, L-E-A-V-E-N. I think that's how you spell it, from our homes, our offices, our cars, wherever consists of our domain. And so what does this mean in a modern practice? It involves not only just getting rid of the pasta and the cookies and the flour and the breadcrumbs and the, uh, what is the other thing, the, what everybody uses? Couscous. Um, covering up our countertops on which chametz, and that's going to be the word we're going to use for that now. It's called chametz. Anywhere where it's been prepared taking out the dishes on which we ate the chametz um, and a lot of other things. It's a very rigorous process. It, it is physically demanding. Even those of us who really, you know, do it in a lighter manner, or I know people, I have friends. I mean, people I've met, I mean, so fortunate people of affluence who actually have in their home a separate Passover kitchen. And what they are able to do really merely is just close up their kitchen, you know, tape up, you know, put tape over the cabinets, close their kitchen and prepare Passover in this other kitchen. I don't know too many people in my neighborhood who have that. We're lucky we even have one kitchen. Um, some of us have a hot plate in the dining room. So 
Uh, but it's very nice. But it, it, for everybody. And there's something very nice and very liberating about doing it. I know the few times in my life where I've gone away for Passover, I've had the, it's actually a treat. It's a very big business. They go to hotels and um, resorts. Sometimes people will rent an Airbnb, a huge one, to sleep the whole family and they cater in. And you know, and yet I, I'm a little bit, I have a, I'm a little opinionated on the subject. There's something very, very wonderful about cleaning for Passover. Now, I'm going away for Passover. Um, again, I've done this for many, many years. I have an elderly mother. I visit my mother. Uh, my husband and I separate for Passover. It keeps our marriage fresh and young. But I always clean my house for Passover to the best of my ability, even when I know I'm going away. And this year, I happen to have somebody staying here dog sitting, house sitting, and putting up her relatives here. So I'm having not the burden of cleaning for Passover, but the joy. And indeed, it is attitude. Okay, so again, there's going to be some boiling, there's going to be some cleaning, there's going to be some wiping. But I really ascribe to this wonderful, actually a beautiful feeling of having been somehow purified, somehow cleansed, spiritually. And these preparations um, also invite us to ask a different question. All right? Not how much panko crumbs we had lying around, but whether or not we're removing the spiritual chametz from our lives, along with the physical stuff. You know, a lot of the traditional commentators describe the chametz, as we know. <laughs> My matzo balls were definitely not chametz. They were like, if bowling balls cannot be okay as a fluffy swollen like think of bread rising and they talk about spiritual chametz as a puffy overextended parts of our ego the way we try to forgive me posture we preen we try to pretend that we're more than we are that we've achieved more renown rather than just existing on a meager level We forget that there's a real blessing, a real bracha in being gentle and modest, like matzah, if you will. It's a lot harder to sweep away our illusions about ourselves, the way in which we try to talk about ourselves and put ourselves out there in the way we hear others a little less well because we think of ourselves as so darn important. The way we take shortcuts forgive me on our integrity the way we negotiate and sometimes even manipulate our values mm -mm. there's no cabinet when one is being honest there's no cabinet in our souls that we can lock away being petty or cheap or mean for a week so what do we do like our homes, like the corner, like the back of our ovens and our plastic container drawers. We have to seek it out. Just like the same way that we search for physical chametz, we do it in the dark with a candle. We need to be intentional. We need to be deliberate in our attempts to collect all the parts of not just our home's chametz, but of who we've been that we are not attending to.
the parts of ourselves that are so inflated that they drag us down. It's work that requires tremendous valor, tremendous honesty, tremendous bravery. Because on some level, just like uh, <laughs> holocrums, shall I say, holocrums under the sofa or popcorn in the bed, some of it can come creeping back, comes creeping back after Pesach is over. But you know, the act of seeking it out, naming it, identifying it, and then releasing it, committing it year after year, Pesach after Pesach, to purifying ourselves to the best of our abilities and becoming the holiest version of ourselves. It's a gift. It is not a burden. And it's something that we can all share together. Came across a lovely line that in order to receive, let me just see. Yeah, so it was a, actually, I think this was a, a, a Chabad article. Who knows where I get this stuff? Um, it was a Chabad article, and it talks about the spirituality of dough. And the subtitle was Passover is a time to receive the divine energy and blessing from above. And of course, you know, it talks about how when we were in Egypt, we looked to God. When you're in a desert, resources are kind of meager. I've heard it said, well, you know what? It's easier to believe in God in a desert. Try believing in God when you're in the flesh pots. I guess, you know, I don't know, Disneyland or Dubai. So in order to receive bracha, what the, what the, the, the ridding ourselves of chametz, actually, this is what I love the term. It said, we become a vessel for divine blessing. And the trick to being a vessel is to remember that it is our purpose, I suppose, respectively, to contain. If a barrel feels that it has to give forth, we call it a leak. But if the container is able to keep this straight, it's a blessing for the liquid and a blessing for the barrel. Absolutely love this. Um... A woman, oh, I'll get to this at the end. We'll see if we'll get to that one. Okay. So this week's Parsha, it's a, it's a, it's a very interesting Parsha because, um, let's just see, according to Rabbi Wine, what does Rabbi Wine say about this Parsha? She's flipping back. Yeah. So it's distinguished by having a, the, the name of the Parsha is Vayikra, but the Hebrew in the Hebrew language, when you read it in the Hebrew, it has this little miniature aleph, the letter aleph, or I guess the counterpart to our alphabet of an A at the end of the word. So, what is it? Is it a typo? Did something go wrong in the uh, Hebrew printing press industry? So, there's a traditional explanation that the small letter, and again, let's think about matzah. Let's think about exploding egos that the small letter is inserted in the Torah at this time before Pesach to highlight, to highlight that abject humility of our teacher, Moshe Rabbeinu, 
with this character trait. And everybody says, what were the what was the primary character trait of Mo- of Moses? It wasn't brilliance, although he was brilliant. It wasn't kindness, although it was he was kind. It was his Moshe was humble. It was the basis for his extraordinary relationship with Akadosh Baruch Hu, the Holy One, blessed be he. The focus of the explanation regarding the miniature letter was placed on Moshe. But according to Rabbi Wine, there's a another interpretation in which the focus is not on Moshe, but um, on God himself. So in the famous vision of the prophet Elijah, okay, in the book of Malachim, in the book of Kings, Hashem illustrates to the prophet and through him and to all of Israel and mankind that God is not to be found in thunder and earthquakes and lightning and tornadoes and hurricanes and other majestic and awe-inspiring phenomenon, phenomena, phenomena of natural sound. Rather, he's to be found in a still, small voice that constantly emanates from heaven. God calls out to us in that modulated whisper tone of voice. He calls out to us with a small aleph, reduced in size and volume. You have to lean forward. You have to listen in. But the voice cannot maintain itself for all times. Whereas a small voice that Elijah heard still echoes in our ears thousands of years later. If one wants to hear God's voice, so to speak, forgive me for that, speaking to oneself, that you have to really strain to hear those whispered utterances, the nuances of tone, the drama of near silence. We've heard We've heard the, um, the, the term, the roaring silence. That's what they're talking about. Um, just, I, I digress one moment. I, I must share this. In discussing the lowly, the mincha meal offering, and again, we're talking about tzanua. We're talking about modesty. We're talking about humbleness. And there's a lot of overlap But the Torah refers to one bringing such a sacrifice with the Hebrew word nefesh, soul, just like the organization nefesh benefesh, soul to soul. So the Midrash holds that, and I'm quoting from the Midrash, Hashem values the poor man's gift of flour as much as if he had offered his very life, the Almighty proclaims this measure of flour may have been the sole provision which he had in the house. He could have used it to sustain his family, yet he offered it as a gift to me, leaving his house bare of food. His offering, therefore, is considered as precious to me as if he had sacrificed his very life. Indeed, the small aleph. Let's bring that from the Torah to our table this Shabbos and perhaps discuss with our families and friends what it means, the sacrifices of the poor versus the sacrifices of those with, let's say, greater means. You know, 
in the writings of uh, Yalkut Ma'am Loaz. Uh, I'll probably I'll, on the on the on the um, on the teaser I'll write it out so you can look it up. So anyway, let's just say on some of the writings on Parshat Vayikra, I found this. There's a wonderful story about the second day of Briyut Ha'olam, the creation of the world. Before creation, the entire world was laden with water. Anybody with even a minimal a minimal um, <clears throat> Bible understanding knows the world was just water. But on the second day of creation, what happens? God stipulated the creation of the sky, which would separate between the lower and the higher waters. And at this time, what happens? The lower waters begin to cry. What happens when we cry? Anybody ever taste your tears? And they're crying because they felt that they had not been worthy enough to be in the higher world. Hashem hears the tears of these waters. And what happens? He decrees that they must remain in the lower level. But, but, but he also proclaimed that because the lower waters had worked so hard to join him, they would be given a reward. All sacrifices which will be brought by the Jewish people should have salt with them. And the only place where they could procure it would be from the lower waters. I love this because I always, you know, I didn't really understand why when we say the blessing over the bread, there's always you dip the bread into the salt. And it comes from this source. The salt is blessed. So when we speak about someone who's a great person, and we've all heard this terminology, what do we say? A worthy person. My friend Tamar has frequently referred to certain holy individuals who walk among us as the salt of the earth. I, I just love that. And I'm grateful every time I hear it. And in ancient times, salt was very, very valuable. And in fact, it was actually some civilizations, some civilizations even used it as a form of currency, I found out. I didn't really see that in the money museum, but it's interesting. And why was salt so precious on a practical level? It preserved Salted meat, salted fish, salted vegetables. You were able, even you, the cheeses were wrapped in salt to preserve it. So in the Jewish religion, salt was even more important. The salt that we have on our tables teach us three basic tenets of our religion. The concept of teshuvah, repentance. The concept of tzedakah. And no better translation, I have to say ch charity, and the value of divrei Torah, words of Torah. Now, I don't expect you to do the counting on Shabbos, but take it from me. The 13th sentence in the second chapter of this week's Torah reading ends with the Hebrew words, al, my Hebrew is so bad, al kol karbon cha takriv melach, with all your offerings, you should bring salt. Say what? The Talmud brings down from this statement that in the same way, you must have salt on your table or you must have salt with your offerings to Hashem. Forgive me. You must also have salt on your table when you eat. The family table, this can really change mealtime, I promise you. When you look at your table and realize that it is akin to the Mizbeach, the altar 
of the holy temple. And this is according to the Gemara. Because even as salt with the offerings serves as a form of admission of guilt and remorse, so too the salt on the family table performs that same purpose. Dinner time is holy time. This phenomenon of running and grabbing, see you later, ma, off to ball practice, is inherently un-Jewish. The salt on our tables also teaches us the concept of tzedakah, giving. Now, in the time, we all know the story of Lot and the town of Sodom and Gomorrah. Remember where Lot's wife turned around and was turned into a pillar of salt? Why were the towns destroyed? They had no pity on the poor, those who sought charity. Lot, accidentally, unaccidentally, I'm not sure, a lot of commentary on it, but he tipped off the other people in town when he went out to borrow some salt from a neighbor. He let them know that he had visitors, Avraham and the angels. Um, the salt on our table, it reminds us that the destruction was rained down upon these two cities. Midah keneged midah, measure by measure for measure in the form of salt and sulfur. When a poor person comes to us, what do we offer him? Food and salt of our table. And the last thing I want to say about salt is, it reminds us, remember what I said? Words of Torah? We learn that... Um, it's impossible for the world to exist without, just as it can't exist without salt, we cannot exist without words of Torah. This could also solve the problem with the instruction, pas b'melech tochel, bread and salt you shall eat. Say what? I mean, do I have to be commanded what to eat? Like the stickers on my car's gas tank, which says unleaded fuel only? Not exactly. But it reminds us that when we eat, it's not just filling our bellies. It's not just eating emotionally. We have to have Divrei Torah in mind because the recitation of his word elevates us to the status of eating at his table. Okay. So we're going to close just one more. I just want to just, as we finish up this week, I'm so excited about this Parsha. Um, in terms of the modesty, the modesty of Moses, the modesty of the small A, the modesty of the matzah, the words of the wise are heard and appreciated when they are said with calm and softness. This is from the Talmud. Now in our world of constant sound, cacophony of shouting, cell phones ringing, Dominate the sound waves of the world. I know myself. I'm guilty. I would never take a walk without having my next podcast lined up. What is so frightening about silence that paralyzes us in such an environment of noise, noise, noise? How can we hear that whispered voice of Sinai, which is broadcast every single day? to those of us who share earth space. One of the basic tenets of Judaism is somehow to imitate the traits, so to speak, of Hashem. I say it again and again. We were created Elokim in his image. Therefore, if God speaks to us 
in a soft and calm voice, a quiet manner, kindly, then shouldn't our voices, our manners replicate and employ the same style when communicating with others? In Proverbs, King Solomon teaches us that shouting is the weapon of fools. I don't know who's getting humbled by this today. I'm in near tears. The greatness of Moshe is emphasized in his ability to hear that godly voice speaking with him quietly in a whisper while others outside of the holy precincts of the Mishkan, the tabernacle, they couldn't hear it. In an expansive way, we could say that those who can't hear that still, small voice of Hashem are really deaf, deaf to the spiritual demands that the Torah, is place, that the Torah places on us outside of, say, the realm of the holy structure of Judaism. I once heard it said that when someone shouts, God is absent. There are rabbis who teach that the high volume when praying doesn't always equal proper intent and concentration. As my husband Ronnie has frequently said, God isn't deaf. God hears the humbling, beautiful silence of our hearts. Perhaps we should all attempt to hear the softness of his communication and indeed his relationship to us. Shabbat Shalom Umivorach from Jerusalem. Israel News Talk Radio. Straight talk from Israel. If you love Israel News Talk Radio, then you'll love our Facebook page. We keep you up to date on what's happening in Israel, plus little surprise treasures that we don't share on the radio. Go now to follow us on Facebook. Just look for the Israel News Talk Radio Facebook page. And don't forget to subscribe and follow us by clicking on the like button. We post great stuff there that you'll want to share. Israel News Talk Radio on Facebook and Israel News Radio on Twitter. If you're hearing this message, everyone else can too. Advertise with Israel News Talk Radio and get your message out to people. We'll build a personalized package for you. Contact advertising at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. Straight talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Hey, this is Jake in Anchorage, Alaska, and I love listening to all the super interesting interviews and up-to-date information on what's happening in Israel. Hello, this is Anna King, originally from London, now living in Israel. And what can I say? Israel News Talk Radio is my cup of tea. My name is Bhaskar. I'm from India, and I love listening because you get to know the truth and wonderful voices from this lovely country. Mom! Okay, wait a minute. Hi, this is Chava Dax, and I'm calling for the rolling hills of Malaya Dumim, just north of Jerusalem. I always listen to Israel News Talk Radio to get all the latest news and commentary and to keep me up to date every day. This is Sarah Dax from Malaya Dumim, and I'm 12. 
I wish Israel News Talk Radio was boring so my mom wouldn't listen to it all the time. Mom! You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. News, opinion, and more. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. 